Welcome to season four of My Dad's Podcast, My Black is Transnational. You can find this podcast on anywhere you like to listen to your favorite podcast. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Enjoy the show. everyone and welcome to another episode of my black is transnational and this is what i would call a special episode we are in the second episode of season four and i already say that this is a special episode and i'll explain why just in a few minutes but before we do that let's get into our formalities if this is your first time listening to the podcast follow this podcast and subscribe at black transnational podcast we're on instagram we're also on facebook and we're also on youtube so please be sure to follow subscribe and review the podcast you can also follow me the host at black transnational underscore and you can check out our website currently in transition but we still got a website at www.blacktransnational.wixsite.com slash podcast all right so i want to kind of get straight into it because there's a lot of things to cover in this particular episode this was based off of a collaborative effort that i did with Ponsa Ponsa, which was by miss um, kemi siriki my auntie kemi who was a guest in the previous season and also um my brother Abdullah Sise, who is uh, was a previous host as well, but he's also the founder and president of um, Bridging Africans and Black Americans, also known as Baba. So this was a conversation. This is part of a three-part series that we are doing um, for the next couple of months. We had our first um, talk in December 4th of 2021, and we're having our second talk coming up actually on January 29th, which is a Saturday. It's on Zoom. It'll be at 12 o'clock Eastern time. If you're interested in getting the link, I will be sure to post the link in the episode details for you to register. But it's a great conversation. It's a great series that we're working on, which is focused on the conversation held between African immigrant parents and their children. And we need to have that conversation. This is the conversation that needed to be had since I started the Growing Up Immigrant segment last season. And we're just kind of building off of it by not just bringing in the children's perspective, but also bringing in the parents' perspective. So we started off putting out this as a community conversation where we had parents of African immigrants talk about what it's like, what their experiences like was growing up and what influenced the way that they raised their children here in America. What challenges do they face and how do they go about dealing with them and how does that influence their parenting style and their philosophies and how in the future Can they be able to continue to understand what their children deal with and be able to make sure that their children kind of understand what their struggles were as they get older? Because ultimately, we need to be able to make sure that we can have more intergenerational conversations that can heal any type of tension that exists. Because a lot of African children, African immigrant children growing up, sometimes may not truly understand what their parents are dealing with, having to adjust to a new world as a black person in America and vice versa. African parents may sometimes not know what their kids are going through living in a world that demands for them to be able to negotiate multiple identities. So we start off with part one, which is what you're going to hear, which involves about five African immigrant parents who share what their experiences are. And it's facilitated by my auntie Kemi from Ponsa Ponsa Forum. So this podcast is available on the Ponsa Ponsa um, Forum uh, list of episodes. You can check it out there too. 
but you can also check it out here. So this is a crossover episode of sorts, and we hope that you enjoy it. So I just wanted to put that out there. Again, if you need, you know, if you want to be part of the upcoming conversation that will be happening on the 29th, if you are listening to this before then, you know, please check it out. But if not, we'll definitely make sure we have part two available on the podcast as well. All right. So with that being said, let's get to the conversation. Enjoy the show. On this stage right now, I'm going to ask all the panelists to actually introduce themselves. But we cannot do something without talking about why did we migrate to America? What is the purpose of our migration? Okay, we did migrate to America. Some of us came here because of social circumstances from our country for a better life, to further our education, for job opportunities and uh, better living condition. Some of us migrated as a result of political prosecution, war, religious freedom, or gender identity. Those are also part of migration. And some of us also came to this country as a result of environmental degradation, as a result of drought, of uh, flooding, and all that stuff that happens in individual country that is not sustainable enough to continue to live in those countries. So I want to give a background of initial migration for many, which is gonna, don't worry about the only few minutes it will take. I'm not talking for so long. I came here in early 1980s and there are so many other Africans who also came even far before me that they, are in, they came to this country at that time. And during that time, many of us who came here, our main goal was actually to return back home, to go to school, return back home, because at that time, the economic outlook, especially in Nigeria, was promising and thriving. The currency level in Nigeria at that time when I came into this country, the currency, you know, the, the Naira was actually, one Naira was equal to $2. So the economic situation in Nigeria was actually going very well because we have petroleum as a natural resources that we, we use in sustaining our nation. So since many, most of our focus was to go back and relocate, you know, relocate back to our individual countries, many of us were not engaged or involved in American social, political, or economic situation. Whatever discrimination or racism that one experienced at early time of our migration, you endure knowing that this is only temporarily, I'm going back to where I came from. So at that time, many immigrants put off having children or getting married because you understand that, why would you want to do that at, the, at that time when you know the living standard was very challenging because to combine nuclear family schooling and social and economic difficulties may be a daunting tax. So we didn't engage into too much of social issue that is going on in uh, America. So in any part of migration to US, most African immigrants were English speaking you know, immigrants. Most of us came from Nigeria, from Ghana, Ethiopia. So later in years, we started having French speaking African countries coming in. When I say French speaking, those are were the ones who were colonized by the French country, uh, French. And, we that we speak English were colonized by the British. So uh, uh, people like from Senegal, from Cameroon, Guinea, Ivory Coast started migrating to US. So this creates more diverse community of African immigrants, which may be more, which you know, grants more opportunity and many barriers to 
what uh, some of the challenges that we face. So by the time many of us who came to United States in the 1980s were ready to go back home and saying that, okay, we start packing our bag and let's uh, start going home because you finish your education, you acquire your training that you want. At that time, many of you know uh, African countries, the economic situation was becoming so unbearable. So those who were already going back home at that time were coming back because they find out that you know the living standard over there was becoming less you know accessible. So they they you know they end up returning back to the United States. So we end up continue to stay here. So with that, since relocating back to African countries has become a distance dream, many immigrants have no choice but to face the reality of. America that may be a home for a very long, long time. So as, as the truth sets in, we cannot put our lives on a hold, but we must move on with our lives. So we dive into American mainstream society. We seek a reputable job, get married, have children. Some buy home in the suburbs and continue to explore American dreams. Making this dream come true does not come easily without facing the challenges that outright foreign to us, because when you talk about issue of race and uh, um, racism, color of your skin, it is foreign to us because we came from a country whereby ethnicity is what create diversity in our individual countries. So making this uh, dream come true, like I said, is a lot of challenges. So for example, many immigrants do not understand the complexity of race relation in America. Identity, uh, identity like I said, is pressed upon ethnicity, religion, and not of a skin color. Even with high educational achievement, we began to experience discrimination, racism, biases based on our skin color, or country of origin, or our religious affiliation. So this, country, this experience is not only limited to us adults, but also extends to our children. So how is it possible for our children to navigate through this unknown territory when it's not part of our own experience? So I just want to give that background. I hope I made myself clear, at least for people to understand. So now I want to open it to the discussion. I would like uh, the panelists to actually introduce themselves and talk about which country do they came, come from. First, I will go forward. I'm from Nigeria. Like I introduced myself initially, I'm from Nigeria and um, living in New York. So who wants to go second? So uh, may maybe let's start with uh, Sister Abby. Sister Abby, if you can go ahead and introduce yourself, please. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Abby, uh, Abby Bola Fakoda. I'm originally from Nigeria. Um, I left, um, I'm British by birth, but I, um, I grew up in Nigeria. I left um, Nigeria 39 years ago to, to Britain. And then I moved, um, that was 1980, 1982, and I moved to the United States in 1990, which was like 31 years ago. I live in Pittsburgh, um, Pennsylvania. I've always lived in Pennsylvania since I've moved to the United States for the past 31 years, and I'm married with um, two adult children, and I do have uh, a grandson as well. Thank you so much for that. Uh, good uh, over here, still morning. So good afternoon for those of you in New York and uh, the East Coast. But here, still morning. My name is uh, uh, Clifford Hedrika Osuji. 
I was born and bred in Nigeria. Most of my education, uh, primary and secondary, uh, took place in Nigeria. I was a teacher in Nigeria before I came here. And so I uh, came here as a student. And after a few years, I got my master's and my uh, bachelor's and master's. I wanted to go back home, but there was no job. I had to move further. And I'm married with adult children. And uh, I live in Chicago. I worked and taught here. And it's a pleasure to be uh, uh, invited to this panel discussion. So thanks a lot, uh, Dr. Kelechi Ibe Lambert and the, the moderator, Kemi Seriki. It's a pleasure. Welcome all of you to this uh, panel discussion. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so Thank much. Uh, yes, uh, good afternoon, everybody. And it's a great opportunity for me to be part of this uh, great uh, uh, group. Uh, Abdul Razak Shegun is my name. That's why you have Asha. Um, born in Lagos, Nigeria, some 60 something years ago. I uh, did my primary, secondary, and uh, university, first university education in Nigeria. After working with the Nigerian Television Authority for about six years, I moved to the United States in. Uh, about 30 years ago now. So here in the United States, I did my master's and doctoral program. And um, I'm here retired with uh, three children and three grandchildren. Wonderful. Okay, good morning, everyone. My name is Aisha Sise, and I'm sorry, um, I was running a bit behind. Uh, so for a quick introduction, okay, my name is Aisha Sise, and I am um, nationality of Guinea. Uh, but actually born and raised in Nairobi, Kenya, and I'm currently living in White Plains, New York. <laughs> How's everyone doing? Thank you. Welcome. So let's uh, start officially. So after, after um, we, uh, you can, you know, I, hold, I guess. Hold on, Rick. Huh? I think Ms. Uh, Ms. Ms. Jacqueline Hunter just got back in. So I want to give her an opportunity to introduce herself as well. Ms. Jacqueline, are you there? Yes, I'm right here. Hi, my name is Jacqueline Hunter. I'm from Ghana. And I came, I live in the Bronx and, and I've been here almost 20 years now. Yeah. I have two kids, one 16 and one eight. And I guess that's the most part right now. Okay, thank you so much for everyone for introducing yourself. So I just want to ask a question when um, you were uh, invited to join this conversation today, what makes you accept this, this invitation? that is so important for you to be here today? What makes you accept this invitation? Uh, personally, I think uh, this is a very, very important uh, conversation that we actually really need to engage in. Actually, it's not, it's, it has to be continuous because I believe it's not something we can just treat in one or two, three sessions. It's, it's got to be a continuous discussion because of uh, the way the whole world is evolving at this point. And, uh, the globe is becoming as small as possible, so you never know who is who. And um, getting our children into uh, the nuances of what will make them click in this new world that we are entering into will require some parental understanding of the children too. So, I mean, that is 
uh, my own personal uh, interest in this uh, session. Thank you so much, Mr. Gubiadi, for that. Anybody else have anything to contribute to that? Yes, I do have uh, um, reasons for accepting the invitation. As a father and parent of five adult children, I think it's, to me, a very imperative that I share my experiences with others, upcoming fathers and mothers, so that they will know exactly, they have a sense of history because raising kids in America is a challenge. And being an immigrant in a host country means uh, navigating so much. And it's important that we all share our experiences and then that will enrich our, enrich our lives in some way. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, this is um, Abby Fakonda. Yeah, the reason I, um, I, 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 I um, accepted the invitation is that um, there's, um, there's the need to have this kind of conversation. It's, it's been it's a difficult conversation for us immigrants talking about um, you know, what we've gone through and now what we're going through with our, you know, f our family, including our, uh, adult children and even young children as well. Um, many of us um, came into this country um, decades away hoping that we'll go back, back home. But we begin to realize that going back home may not be a reality for us. And in the process, we were getting older and older and our children too were getting older and older. And many of us now are having adult children who are now the next generation of Nigerian-American uh, Nigerian, um, immigrants who now have ch children of their own. So we're getting to the point that we only have a limited time to pass information to our children because most of us are now in our 50s and our 60s and some people even in their 70s. Mm -hmm. So the time is very, very limited now. And this is the time it's past due to start the conversation. So that's why I said, you know, I'd like to be part of this. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Who else wants to go forward with that? Who else, who else wants to share? So this is Aisha. I agree um, with both um, friends that have just um, finished uh, because it's like, we are all gonna be repeating the same thing. That is exactly also one of the reasons I, that I was gonna be a part of um, this meeting today. Um, like she said, you know, um, we came here with the idea of uh, we are going to school and get that degree and get home and, uh, you know, um, at uh, a better place. But like she said, once we get here, um, year goes by, another year, two, we get married, have our own children. And now you realize, oh, my God. And as the children start growing up, we start realizing that, okay, the cultures are starting to get lost in between um, because we are getting, with, um, you know, African-Americans that are here or Jamaicans that are here. So it's really hard to try and um, raise your child as you were raised or trying to impact the wisdom that you have to your children. So I really believe that um, this should be a continuous thing as doctor has previously said. Um, so I'm gonna stop there and um, listen to the other parents that are on here.
Okay, thank you so much for that. Anybody else have anything different from what is being said uh, among our panelists to actually um, share as to why you uh, I mean, uh, accept the invitation today? Yes. Yeah, hello. My name is Latifa Raimi. I joined to be part of this as an African-American parent and now have African-American kids. I'm trying to learn more strategies from my elderly grown-ups how to raise this children that we have in this country in a cultural and well-mannered environment that we found ourselves in. So that's why I joined it. Okay, thank you so much. On a light note, I just want to bring us back to our own childhood. Uh, what, was it, what was your favorite childhood experience, you know, when you were growing up back in your individual country? I would say my favorite experience growing up back home was um, when, uh, you know, back in Nigeria, among the Yoruba, there's something they call Oriki. Oriki is a praise poetry that is showered over you every day by a family member. It could be your mom, your dad, it could be your aunt, anybody in the household. So imagine when a child wake up in the morning, somebody shower you, okay, praise you with this family praise song. And they say it to you every day. It makes you feel, you know, so empowered. It makes you feel so good about who you are yourself. And that's one thing that I miss growing up back in Nigeria. So anybody have anything else to share, you know, regarding that? Actually, I... I... I actually uh, want to support the idea of the moderator uh, because uh, <laughs> I will forever remember my mom trying to do that Oriki to me first thing in the morning. She goes on and on and on. And to the extent that uh, my father will now give her money for doing that to us when we were young. But aside from that, I really miss the community. I really miss the community because um, I, something that just came to me now. I remember leaving my primary school with my school report card. Before I got home, my mother had known that I came first in the class before I got home. From my school to my house, I have gotten gifts from parents here and there before getting to my house. That is community. And that is what I miss coming to America. Thank you so much for sharing that. Anybody else? Dr. Osuji? Yes. Um, mine, I had a unique experience go, growing up. I lost my father when I was only two years old. I was the only, I'm still the only male among six children my mom and, and dad had. So growing up, I didn't have a father to look over me and tell me what to do and not what to and, and what not to do. But I had the experience of going to religious institutions. I went to a Baptist school when I was about five or six, went through primary school. Then my went to teacher, teacher training college in Nigeria, Adventist school, Baptist schools. Those tended to open my eyes to morality. 
issues, how to comport yourself. And so that helped me a lot. So when I came to the United States too, I wanted to imbibe the same values, not only religious values, but also traditional values and identity to my children. Mm. I know that our children in this country, in the United States in particular, have to navigate a lot of circumstances. And we don't want to leave them to forgetting where they came from. While they are socializing here, we also want to know where their parents came from. So my wife and I were, were going to school, working hard and us going to school and working and raising five children. To me, that was a unique experience. And today I'm happy that I have five grown children who have not forgotten where they come, where they come from. So Thank you so much, Dr. Osuji, for that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah there, there are a few things that I, you know, I think about Nigeria. For example, it's going to be a holiday time you know, in the next few weeks. I remember vividly growing up, holiday time, this, you know, starting from, you know, week before Christmas, all the way till January. Nigerians, uh, you know, they celebrate the holiday like for the next one month. So I grew up in, 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 in a household and family. The holiday time is when everybody meets, everybody comes, they come from the village, they come from the city, uh, and we all celebrate. And that's the time during the year that your mother will buy you two outfits because you have to go to church. You, you have the outfit you wear to church on Sunday for Christmas. And then you have the outfit you're going to wear for church for New Year's Day. And Christmas took like forever to come every year. And when it finally comes, it's just like Jesus has just come to earth. And that kind of feeling that kind of feeling is the most beautiful feeling as a child growing up, just always looking forward to Christmas time. Uh, and then that's when your parents with other family members, they talk and they always talk in, in Proverbs. That's one of the things that I miss so much, the way our parents talk in Proverbs. And then you listen to them. And at that time, sometimes it's so boring and sometimes, oh my God, it's time to eat. But they're consistently talking in Proverbs. And I never realized that most of what I heard then as, as a child stuck to my brain. And suddenly as now in my life, I would just talk about a proverb. And I said, I never talked about this for years. How did I remember this? So those are the kinds of things that really stick to me, um, you know, um, from, from the past that I, I miss as a child. And it's, it's the feeling that I had at that time. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Frappuanda. Thank you so much for sharing that. Anybody else have to share? This is Jacqueline. Yeah, I would like to contribute this. I, I, I really miss the way we used to, um, how our parents used to communicate with us. You know, how we all sit, like cook. You'd be brought up like cooking, doing everything, sit down and eat. But these days in this country, it's not like that. It's all about gadgets, phones. You, even if you have to talk to your son, sometimes you have to like text, call. You know, before then, we didn't have all those things. So it's like everything has to be in, 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 in your presence. Like even if you do something bad, it has to be in your presence. They say everything right in front of you. But these days, it's not like that. That is what I miss back home. Oh, thank you so much for that. 
Anybody else wants to share? Um, as for me, um, my experience also is all about community. Um, I remember growing up in Kenya, even though we grew up in Kenya, uh, most of our parents came from Guinea. So it was always about family and each and every home was always open. Um, I remember um, me and my cousins as we were young, like we would, um, you know, we would be hopping from one home to the next and the parents were not worried about where you are. And, um, you know, as like I said, all the homes were just open for us. You know, there wasn't restrictions or um, as it is now, like you have to look over your shoulder every second. If your child is not in front of you, you literally lose it. You, you, it that wasn't how it was before. You know, there was a sense of, um, of, of security wherever it was that we were. You know, we would want, you know, spend a night. Let's say my cousins come over to my father's house and we are there and we're like, okay, we're bored. We don't want to stay here any longer. So let's go to so-so-and-so auntie's house. And we might be five, six, seven of us, and we will all go to that auntie's house and end up spending the night. We don't even have to tell our parents, but you know, she will know where we are. So that is that is something that I miss most, even for my children today, um, because I always tell them that when we were growing up in the 80s, like we had the most beautiful time, you know, the oneness and um, being in a community that everybody cared about everybody else and not just caring because um, you can get something from the person or caring because you're pretending to care in order to gain from that person, but because you truly care. And um, I will be able to punish a child without having to think twice that, oh, if I punish so-so-and-so's child, she's going to be upset. No. Um, we all know this adage that says it takes a village to raise a child. I miss that. I really miss that. Thank you for that. So on the other end, you know, we have to keep this very brief. On the other end, what would you, as a parent, would have liked to change about your own childhood experience? What would I have liked to change? Mm -hmm. About your own childhood experience. Honestly, I don't think there's anything that um, I would like to change. I don't believe there was any bad aspect of us growing, no, I, I don't think so. No, I don't think there's anything I would have liked to change. Okay, so anybody else have any different answer? Uh, I would like to add that we as parents have an obligation to raise our kids in a way that will avoid distress to them. Also at the same time, from my own experience, I've, I've always, maintain, try to maintain strong obligation within the family. You know, in a African experience, uh, in Nigerian experience, we know that parent, parental authority is very, very important. I mean, absolute authority of parents. But here in America, we know that the kids want to be autonomous. They want to be independent. There's always conflict between decision-making personal decision-making and little parents. Where we came from, we know that parents have a lot of say in what their children do. But I mean, in the past, they had much say, but today I don't know what is going on there now. And so we see also lifelong obligation to the family. It's very important. We must inculcate these ideas to our children and give them a leading life to make a choice. I know the host culture here and values, 
quite different from what we are used to back over there. Body world, as uh, as I said before, the world is changing. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we should not forget where we come from. It's important that we do it in a way that the children understand that morality is very, very important. It takes a, a, a village to raise a child. And so these are things that are very, very important. We know that in Nigeria, in Africa, we don't have ho ho homogeneous uh, our values or identity within our ethnic groups. Nonetheless, the underpinning attitude is that children should be cognizant of what is right and what is wrong. And in the US here, there's a lot of discrimination. And that's why my children, uh, friends know that I've always put priority to making sure the children get good ed education. They go to school and do as much as they can. Because when you are facing a situation in the US, you don't want to be like ordinary, be like ordinary person. If we as Africans or Nigerians are, are just like all the others, we get nowhere. We must try to go a step ahead so that we will not be, you know, uh, left behind. Thank in you the so much. Let me just get back to the, your question. Uh, I would have loved a situation whereby we were educated better. When I say better, I mean better. While we were going to our primary schools and secondary school back home, because the education we got was meant to satisfy the whims and caprices of the West, of the Western world, of the white man. So that actually is the major issue if we really want to look deep into it. It has caused so much, even the so-called educated among us are not really educated because we sometimes cannot read between the lines. Imagine when we were young, people that were born and raised in Lagos. If the Queen of London is coming to Nigeria, I was born in Suleri along with an avenue. We will, they will take us from Salvation Army School where I went to, a government demonstration, another school on the other side of the street. We will line the streets because the Queen of England is coming to Lagos. What is that about? We are supposed, we need, we, those are the kind of things I would have loved I did not experience back then, and many more, to keep it short. Thank you so much for that. For me, what I would say I would have loved to change about my childhood was uh, this essence of um, the extensiveness of discipline may not only apply to me, but also to the people that I've seen around, where um, adults don't really talk to children, even though they're going to explain, they might explain to you why you did certain things, but they are not hearing from you about your own personal feelings. They are not actually having communication with you. And I think the lack of a child not being able to express their feelings have an impact in how we are raising our children in this country today. So it's one of those um, upbringing that I felt like, you know, um, our culture, uh, you know, parents didn't do too much on. 
because the essence of allowing a, a, uh, someone to express their feelings to actually talk about what is actually bothering them. Um, I just want to come in. One thing that I would have loved, you know, if, if anything has to be changed in my past, because I believe that um, everybody's um, life experience is unique, either good, bad, or ugly. That's what makes you um, the person you are today. Mm -hmm. So the only thing that I would, like, if, you know, if I had a choice, is the language. I grew up in a home that my parents, you know, um, enrolled me in an English-speaking school where you don't speak vernacular. Vernacular is when you speak the, the native language. But I was very, we were very, very, we were very, very fortunate because we had lots of cousins and aunties that came from the village that lived with us. So we were able to speak the language. But we spoke English. My parents spoke in English mostly, you know, half and half to us. So when I became a parent, because unconsciously, because that's how I grew up, I started speaking in English with my, my children. Now I have two adult and grown children. Frankly speaking, they can't speak the language. They understand everything. They can't speak the language. And that's a, the, one of the greatest loss for me as a human being, that how would I have a child? How would I you know, have children that cannot speak my language? Because language and food, the, the language and food are the most important things that we can pass as leg legacy to the next generation. You see the Chinese, the Indians, the, the, from one generation to the other, they can still speak their language and they still eat their food. I said, but as Nigerians, we begin, we, 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 we were, you know, I missed that. And I know that that was like an error in my, in, in this, for my parents to pass it, passing it to me and not pass it to my children. So I'm hoping with my own grandchild, or my grandchildren, I will be able to do a better work. So that's the only thing that I really feel, sometimes I feel you know, sad about. Thank you for that. And I, I know there's so many people who could relate to what you just said, because uh, many people could not imagine that in African countries that uh, the European language dominates so many homes. I, actually, children were being punished in school if they speak their traditional language, which they call vernacular. <laughs> and sometimes if you don't speak the English, the right grammar, people make fun of you. Teachers make fun of you. But if you can speak your own traditional dialect well, it's nothing wrong with that. It's what's widely acceptable. So thank you for bringing that to the surface. I, I, so, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you have time to talk about language, because I mean, if you remember what I mentioned, I was talking about education mm -hmm. generally, but basically, it boils down to what uh, Sister Habi just uh, alluded to. Language, I was in a forum like four or five days ago and we were talking, adults, high school classmates, we were talking about this. And I was asking a question to a forum of over hundred people. How many of you can write an essay in Yoruba language of 1000 words? Nobody can boast that you can write an essay of 1000 words in my in our language Thank and imagine imagine i mean I, this is not a forum to talk about the west and the, the and their influence on africa but i will quickly say this first act 77 there was an agreement among africans at first act 77 that we should have a common language for africans to speak they look at the map of Africa and look at the most spoken language in the whole of Africa, and they realize it's key Swahili. 
that they should make Kiswahili compulsory for all students in primary and secondary school in 1977. 1977 to today is well over 40 years. Imagine if we have embraced that then, imagine how unified Africa as a nation would have been. Unfortunately, our leaders will not agree to that. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Agumbiade. And that comes from colonial uh, 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 brainwashing. So that's what it is. So I just want to move quickly to other questions so that you know we won't be hanged on one thing. So while you were growing up, each, each individual of us growing up, uh, which I've asked many of African immigrants that I come across of my age group, who would you say you are more closer to, to your mom or you to your dad? And, um, uh, you know, do you feel comfortable talking to your parents about maybe some of the struggle that you were going through when you were young? Anybody wants to go first? Because I would tell you that I was much more closer to my mom. Of course, with my dad, I demanded what I want. And, uh, you know, asking, I wasn't too afraid because I have siblings that many of them were afraid of my father. And I was one of the bold ones who will never be afraid of him because, you know, when your father is coming, everybody runs to a corner. But, you know, you are much more closer to your mom. I, I was more closer to my mother than closer to my father to talk about, you know, maybe some of the struggle or challenges, you know, that might be going through. So anybody else wants to share their experience? I, 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 don't, I don't want to blame God for this. Um, <laughs> um, for some reason, uh, most of us are closer to our mom. Oh. Um, we are six children, first five are boys, and our last one is the only girl. For some reason, I find myself closer to my dad than even my mom. Why? Because my mom is the one that punished us. My dad never spanked me once till he died. But I cannot count the number of times my mom beat a hell out of me. So I find myself closer to my dad, more comfortable talking to him, when I go to the shrine, because I'm a fellow boy, when I go to the shrine, it is my father that I will let, know, let him know that, oh, I call shrine. I will not go to my mom and tell her that, because she's going to kill me. So I am much, much closer to my mom until when I get much old. I mean, I was much, much closer to my dad until I got much, much older. I got married. And I started realizing what mothers go through. Then I started getting close to my mom. Okay, thank you for that. Any, anybody um, else have anything to share? Um, as for me personally, uh, my father was my best friend. Um, I was an only child all the way up to, um, I believe, when I turned 16. So um, after I turned 16, of course, my father remarried um, and um, my stepmom came in and she had five um, children for my dad. Um, I'm not going to say I wasn't really much closer to my mom, but for every little thing, I would always run to my dad. Um, that's how it was. And as of today, I have my daughter too. It's the same way. We still talk, we do things together, but she's also closer to her father. And I remember there was a time um, I sat down and I was just seeing the interaction between her and her father. And something hit me in my head. Um, I had an aunt once. I think I was. Um... Well, I think she froze. It froze. It was getting good too. Oh. Yeah, that's a shame. <laughs> yeah. Can I call you? Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
come in. Uh, yeah, hopefully she'll come back. Yeah. Um, I will say when I was really young, I was much closer to my dad because um, as, as someone said, my dad, I can't even remember my dad, you know, really punishing me. But my mom was the tough one. My mom was the one that, um, and, and being the first girl, we are always in this conflict, consistent conflict, which took place for, for, for a decade. But when I begin to realize, um, when I begin to appreciate my mom is when I, begin, when I started having kids. And then I begin to see things. Then I begin to have a better understanding that, oh, this is what it is to be a mother. And this is what my mother went through. And, and even till now, she's passed. So many things now begin to be, I begin to understand better and I begin to appreciate her towards the end. But initially, I was more comfortable with my dad and I can talk to him freely. But when I say, when we say talk in, in the sense of where I grew up, in the setting of where I grew up, there are, there are basic things that you never talk to your parents about, never. You don't discuss some basic things about, about, about things. They're just general things. So that's the kind of environment I come from, just general things. But other things that you're supposed to discuss with parents, I grew up in a space that you don't discuss things like that to your, your parents, except Thank you. it's necessary. Thank you so much for that. Anybody else? So anyway, now I'm going to move into immigrant experience and identity. So as an immigrant, how do you identify yourself in America to others? I know when we come across many of our fellow African immigrants, we talk about, oh, I'm from Nigeria, from Ghana, I'm from Togo. How did you identify yourself? Just one answer. How, did you, how do you identify yourself to others who are non-Africans in this country? As for me, I identify myself as a proud Guinean Kenyan, but mostly I, I lean towards Guinea more than Kenya. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. And uh, who else wants to go? I identify, you know, in general, I call myself, you know, like I'm, I'm black, you know, because anywhere you go, you have to check who you are. In America, in this setting, I'm black. But then I would go further that I'm Nigerian-American because... I, I, I still am Nigerian, even though I was born in Britain. I have a British, I had a British, I have a British passport, but I still want to be identified as Nigerian. So I've said Nigerian American. Yeah, you know, it's the same I, thing. I identify myself as a Nigerian American too. And who else wants to, Doctor Osuji? Uh, when Americans and other um, foreigners see me, they know I'm African. But then it's obvious, I have obvious features that show that I'm, I wasn't born here or something. But so when I identify myself as a Nigerian, I'm from Nigeria, that's what I tell them. Thank you. I, I mean, I cannot give you one straight answer on this. The reason being, um, wherever you come from, as long as you have this black skin, you are an African. Um, and I come from the school where I think Africa should come as one. So I don't see myself as a Nigerian first. I see myself as an African. And that, that was why I had, I founded the African Children Jamboree, like uh, in 1998, where I bring children from Africa, children from 
the West Indies, Americans, all of them together and celebrate them every year. So. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. So why do you think uh, it's so important for you to identify yourself in such manner? Why do you think so? I think many of us have already said it because as a Nigerian, that's what, you know, make my composition. That's my origin. You know, I cannot deny that origin of me as a Nigerian, as a Yoruba woman. So it's the culture that I was raised in and it's part of what makes me who I am today. And also being an American, you know, naturalized citizen. You know, so I also claim that. So when it comes to our children's identity, do we see them as black, African-American, Ghanaian-American, Togolese-American, or what identity do we see? How do we see our children? Well, I'll go first. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> My children know this. Um, I tell them this house where we live in right now this house is, is, is Africa. This is what I tell them. When you cross my door and you hit the gate, you are in America. But the moment you walk in here, we are in Africa. So I identify my children as Africans. Of course, they're born here. Um, but I, I, I'm still trying to tune that into my son's head because he says, no, mommy, I am American. I'm like, no, you're not American. You are born in America, but that does not qualify you to be an American. But mommy, I'm no, no, no. So we are Africans and my children, that's how, you know, um, I identify them as Africans. My daughter, she understands that she gets it, but the boys are still young and, you know, they are getting there. I'm not going to take away the American part of it, but I just, you know, I drill it into them. Listen, this is where we are from. This is where we came from. And this is, I mean, it's okay. You know, you can claim the American part of it. I don't claim it. I'm here. I thank God for all the opportunities that I have here, but I am more African than not. <laughs> okay, thank you for sharing that. Anybody else have anything uh, differently to say? Can I go next? Yes. I I, I, I really appreciate what uh, Sister Alicia just said. That is really, really profound. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, wow, this is good. So I personally recognize myself as African-American, then I can go further and say, okay, I'm from Nigerian. And I see the same thing for my kids. We're all African-American because this is the environment you live in, but do not forget your origin that we are all Nigerian. Thank you so much. And for me, I actually see my children because I cannot deny them of their African heritage and they have two heritage. They are black in America and they're African-American. Also their heritage as a Nigerian you know, is a combination that I actually, you know, allow them to embrace and, you know, continue to uh, push them because no matter what, they are, they are born in this country, they are in this country, and they also face the same challenges as many people of color also face in this country. So I, I recognize their African-American African heritage as well as their Nigerian heritage. Anybody else wants to chime in on that? Um, I, I'll come in. I see my kids as, um, because they are born, they, you know, they grew up here they, mm -hmm. and some of them are born here. Um, I see them as they have a Nigerian heritage. They're not 100% Nigerian in the sense that they were not born in Nigeria and they are born in America. I see, I still see them as um, an at my, African and um, Nigerian, um, uh, Nigerian and then American. But I think because they are adults, they can decide on the identity they want. 
they, they have to um, decide on their identity. The, the beauty about this is their name. Their name will give them up. Whatever you call yourself, um, there's uh, a white American is not called uh, Fakunda. They will know that, you know. And then if you marry to a Fakunda, they know that someone, there's a Fakunda somewhere that's connected to you. So with their name, and that's why it's crucial for me that our children, we have to maintain that name, you know, from one generation to the other. And they wouldn't really know where you come from. So whatever, you know, whatever the children want to call themselves, it's up to them, whatever they're comfortable um, um, doing. But I just know through their names, people will know where they truly come from. Thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Osuji, you want to go? Yes, I would like to add something. First of all, I want a correction. Usually uh, when Americans see me or some others see me, are you African? I say Africa. But the next question is always, are you from Ghana or Nigeria or something? So in order to foster further questions, they know I'm African. Then I tell them, to, I'm from Nigeria. Now to the question of our children, you know, um, the US Constitution says, you know, you cannot, if you're not a, a, a US born person, you cannot run for president. Mm -hmm. And so we cannot deny their birth. We cannot deny the birth of our children. They are Americans, but I'm not as feel they are Nigerian Americans. And that's a qualification we don't have to lose sight of. We are, as their parents who are born in Nigeria, we can claim Nigerians and American citizens too, not by birth, but by decision to become US citizens. Mm -hmm. But they themselves who were born here, they're Americans by birth. But then I don't want to know my children are Nigerian Americans. And that's the way we should. Thank, thank you so much, Dr. Osuji. So I, I, that brings me to the next question. How do the American society sees or identify you, Black, African-American, or immigrant? The reason why I ask that question is because um, there's a kind of dual identity that goes on. I know when we fill out any application, maybe for housing or for any loan, you have to put your race where you belong to. And I never asked that question until, I'm gonna tell you a short one minute story. When my daughter was two years old or three years old, I registered her at Harlem School of Art where they do African dance, you know, ballet, art, name it. So I registered her into Mommy and Me West African dance class. And in this class, it's been taught by an African-American woman. So whereby every time we go there on Saturday, she talks about African continent, and she talked about African-American struggle and the people of color in this country. So one day she then asked me, knowing I was the only African immigrant in that class, many African dance class that I take in, in here in New York, usually I'm the only African immigrant among them because most of them are African-Americans, you know, white Asians name them, you know, all diversity of people. So she asked me, she said, do you consider yourself, how do you identify yourself? She asked me, how do I identify myself? I was shocked and I was taken aback by that question because I mean, I'm black. And I said, yeah, I identify myself as a Nigerian American. And, uh, but what came to my head later on was that, how do other people actually see me? Other people of color, how do they actually see me? Do they see me as black? Do they feel that, you know, whatever struggle African-Americans are going through in this country, that I also go through the same thing, even more because of my immigrant status? So that's why I'm asking this question. How do you 
think other people see you within the community without you even saying, I'm from Nigeria, I'm from Ghana. How do you think they see you? I, I think it's so obvious. Um, when, I, when you walk in, you are black skin. People, mm -hmm. people see you as a black, they see me as a black woman. Mm -hmm. But when I open my mouth, that, that may change because the next thing will be, oh, she has an accent. Mm -hmm. Where does she come from? And then some people will ask you, you know, where do you come from? And I will say Monroeville, Pennsylvania. And they say, oh, no, no, where do you come from? You know exactly what they're trying to. And then you have to start say, telling your, them your life story. Um, so in, in, in the U United States, anywhere you walk into, you're a black, I'm a black woman. Mm -hmm. And then until I, as I said, until you open your mouth mm -hmm. and, and speak. Yeah. And that's when the next level and the next questions will, will come, will come. Yeah, thank you so much for that. Who else has uh, anything to contribute to that? Anybody else? Well, um, I, I, like they said, I think it's a general thing. So we all identify as black. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because whatever it is that, you know, people of color go through, we also go through the same thing. And it's not about uh, anything special that uh, is favorable to our, uh, you know, the, to our, uh, you know, uh, experience, because as an immigrant, you even go through more. Um, can each one of us uh, name one challenges of being an immigrant, African immigrant in this country, one challenges that we experience as an African immigrant in this country, just name one. My personal challenge, I just want to link it to what we've been talking about before, is the fact that, uh, Naturally, everybody seeing you as black person, and uh, and um, it goes on. So when I first came into New York City, and I was looking for a job, and I got a job to work as a security guard at Beverly Shelter in uh, on First Avenue, at the men's shelter. There at that shelter, the black. Americans will be pointing accusing finger to us, the, the security guards. You come from Africa to take our job. You all came from Africa to take our job. So me with this Pan-Africanism background and thinking all Blacks are one, now I'm getting this fire from another black person telling me that I'm a stealer of his job. It kind of, it's kind of challenging to me until I started understanding their experience growing up in America. That is different from my experience as an immigrant coming from Nigeria to live in America. So it's, it, it, it's something that uh, we really need to work on trying to unite Africans as one, so we can move forward and uh, fight uh, a common goal. Yes, thank you so much for that. Um, who else have anything to share? Uh, Ms. Kami, can you please repeat the question again? So can each one of us name one challenge of being an African immigrant in this country? And how are we able to cope with those challenges? Yeah, um, for me, um, as I told you, I've been out of my country um, 
for about 39 years. So I've spent, I've spent time outside Nigeria than I've been in Nigeria. So my life, um, my life is here. But the most challenging thing for me as a person is moving here as an immigrant with very, very limited knowledge about the history of, of we black people in general. Black people that live in Africa, black people that migrated voluntarily to Africa or involuntarily, I mean voluntarily out of Africa or involuntarily out of Africa. I migrated voluntarily out of Africa. But coming to the United States in the last nearly 30 years, it took a process for me to really understand, to truly understand the history of, of Blacks in this country. And I, you know, and because um, as, as I begin to understand through my learning, through, you know, teaching and all that, it, it's, it's, it's a real challenge for me to really understand, you know, to really put it together and say, this is what people have been through before us. And this is why people behave this way towards us. And, and that has always consistently become a struggle for me. And, and trying to put all that together and have a good understanding and putting people's, um, putting myself in the position of others. That's a struggle for me. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Anybody else has to share? Yes, I would like to say something in that uh, regard. It's important for us to realize the experience of Black Americans over the years through the 50s and 60s, through um, slavery and all that. It was a struggle for them. There's still that bitterness. And when we as Africans come here willingly, like uh, the last speaker said, voluntarily or involuntarily, we have to understand the history of those who, who went before us here. And so a lot of times that, that bitterness is showing that it, sometimes they say how arrogant Africans are, especially the men. And then they put them down and they arrogate themselves. But most of us are really modest people and cautious to them or to the Americans. So I think a lot of times when I, I, I come out, they say we're an African. Yes, yes they know us. When we, especially when we open our mouths, they know where we come or who we are, that we are not born here. Mm -hmm. And so um, as, as far as some of them may say we've come to take that, there are so many who are very, very friendly to us, but we as Africans must pick our battles. We don't want to be seen as very arrogant and that we're putting people down or that uh, we Africans don't want to live with them where they live. We want to live in the suburbs, or which I would think are safer or, or that kind of thing. So a lot of issues are involved in this. Yeah, thank you so much, Dr. Suji, for that. And you know, we can't forget, you know, apart from uh, the issue of uh, uh, racial identity and discrimination, we also, there's so many of our members of our communities who don't even have papers and they have a fear of deportation, lack of access to proper health care, victim of uh, crime. And sometimes they are afraid of police for the fear of deportation. 
and uh, afraid to advocate for themselves and their children. Also, all that actually have also contribution of uh, some of the challenges that immigrants, uh, uh, African immigrant experience. So for those of us with children, do we ever discuss our challenges and struggle with our children and why and why not? I'll go first on that. Okay. Yes, I do. Um, I do discuss if I go through a lot of challenges, especially racial disparity, I do let my kids know to let them know that no matter what you are, you're always going to be black. You're always going to be seen as black. So being black, you have to work extra 10 times more than a white person. So I, I go through that, especially I, I moved originally from New York to Maryland. When I came to Maryland, I saw the difference. In New York, you get on the bus, you get on the subway, everybody mingle with each other, and you're comfortable with your skin. But when I came to Maryland, it was different. White is white, black is black. And as a matter of fact, I, I couldn't even identify myself as who am I? Because black don't want, want you to be around them. White don't want you to be around them. And then we Africans, we are not very accommodating. So I, I kind of felt I'm alone. I, I do let my kids know when I'm going through stuff like this is what's going on. I want you to prepare yourself that the world, you, you're in a bubble right now because you're still with me. But when you get out there, it's a lot of challenges and you have to be prepared. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Uh, so for me, I would say I don't, I, I hardly discuss some of the struggle apart from issue of race or the struggle of being able to come up and, you know, make ends meet with my children. I have two children. I didn't even say that initially. I have a 26 year old and a 22 year old. When they were growing up, I never discussed some of the challenges that I'm facing because I felt like, you know, I don't want to uh, overwhelm them with my challenges for them to be thinking and be worried whether their mom is okay, whether, you know, uh, some of the things she's going through, what is going to affect them. Because uh, uh, children tend to internalize emotional issue of their parents, and I didn't want that to shed over to them. So it was later on that when we start talking that they said, oh, you should have told us, you would have taken it, you know, understand where you're coming from. So it's something that I'm learning to do myself, actually to share my feelings with them. Anybody else have anything to share on that? Yes, I have something to share about that because uh, my children have been well aware of the fact that I had to fight uh, work discrimination at some time. Mm -hmm. You see, um, I've always tried to let them know along the way that they have to not be like everybody else. Get your skill, get your education. When you get to the job, do your job well. Otherwise, they'll use it against you. And so I had to fight discrimination. And most of them are aware when I, I had the right to do so. And so we talk about, we may not talk about, but they know that what I, st I stand for, what is right. And when I go to work, I work hard and I put, you know, try to be productive as much as possible. And so that is something that they're aware of. I don't have to sit down and, and talk to them, but I always tell them to prepare because the society in which we live, if you are, if you don't have superior talent, and, you, and if you're like everybody else, they have a reason to discriminate against you. But always move a step ahead. 
Thank you for that, Dr. Osuji. So I'm just going to skip because I, I know time is going and, uh, you know, I'm going to skip uh, some of the questions that I have here. Move on to our children, opportunity and the challenges. What are the benefits and the challenges of raising children abroad? Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. Um, the, the reason why most of us ended, ended up here is because we want a better life. We want we want access to opportunities. We wanted access. We wanted access to resources, and where most of us came from, there's lacking in those um, those resources. And then we made a deliberate, um, you know, a deliberate. Um, we deliberately decided that we wanted this, and then most of us then stayed after going to school because of our children, because we say, you know, we don't want them to go through what we went through mm -hmm. and we want a better life for them. But in general, I think for many of us, it's a, it was a good move because we've been able to, to give our children the very best. It may not be the perfect, we may not be the perfect parents, and we may not give them, you know, everything they, they wish for, but we have been able to give them the very best for them to access the resources to become a better person in the society. And we begin to see that that's happening to our next generation. There's just so many things that we were unable to do because most of us came in here when we were in the 20s and 30s and our 40s. And to be able to even achieve anything, it took over. 20, 30 years behind. But now we have that opportunity for our children, that our children are competing. They're competing with other Americans at a very, very higher level because yeah. of the advantage of, of the education and resources. Yeah. That Thank, they you. Thank you so much for that. Anybody else have anything to share apart, uh, with that? Doctor? I, I, I can come in here um, in agreement with what uh, we're talking about. Uh, developmental psychology came to mind and our spiritualism came to mind too. Uh, there are, are age-appropriate discussion you can have with your children. Yes, at the point in life, you can talk to them about some issues. At another point, you cannot talk to them about because of the possible consequences of such discussion. But the issue that uh, uh, Dr. Fapumba just uh, highlighted is quite important for us to understand that um, successes in life is by opportunity or I don't want to use the word luck and some answered prayers if people believe in prayers. Because not everybody that have their children here and raise them here have a great outcome at the end of the day. Some of us might be so thankful to God that we have uh, fruitful children that are doing great uh, in whatever area they find themselves. Uh, it, it goes to speak volume about the whole struggle that I had mentioned earlier. And it's a struggle of underdeveloping Africa deliberate underdeveloping Africa to ensure that uh, people are given visa lottery to leave the medical world in Nigeria to come and help the medical industry in America, in London, in Germany. And is a deliberate, is a design, is a design that we need to thoroughly look into and deeply find answers to. 
we cannot just because, oh, I'm comfortable. I have a mansion, my children have their own houses. No, 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 no. We have to look, it, look at it more deeply. That's uh, okay, we have this, uh, but how about the future of Africa and Africans? I mean, like I said, we have to have more time to discuss what is coming in my head. I hope yeah, uh, yeah, thank we'll you have another opportunity. Yeah, opportunity for that. Thank you so much, you know, because we're talking about the challenges. The benefit, like was said before, is, you know, the opportunity for better education, better lifestyle for our children. But there's also challenges that comes with it. Because when we talk about uh, uh, what many people of color go through in this country, our children also are not exempt from that. You talk about the issue of um, gang violence, so many other things that is going on within our community. Uh, as an African, uh, like was, it was said here before by someone that when you are outside, you are America, when you come to this house, you are, you are a Nigerian or Ghanaian. So our children have to balance between both two identities. You know, when they go outside, it's something else. And those identities, when they go out, they face those challenges that sometimes we're we not able to help them with it. Because as I gave example before in one of the forums that I held, if your child comes home and said, I've been bullied in school, I just want to throw this question to any one of us. If your child comes home and tell you, I've been bullied in school, how do we help them in navigating that? Dr. Osuji. Yes, I have had experience because uh, my wife was working, I'm going to school, I was working and going to school, our children too. In other years, they are also going to school and we had to make sure our presence was felt at school. And we also had to know what was going on at school. Uh, in most of the cases, I took my kids to school. If they had to ride the bus, I'll take them to the bus, then to get to school. And if there were issues, and some issues arose at school uh, where I had to go, I'll take off some time from work and call the school, I'm on my way to come and discuss issues. In fact, there was some situation where I was told my son went through the the wrong door and he was going to be suspended for three days and the school called me I, I told him I'm on my way I took a cab straight to the school I want to speak to the principal and then when I got there he said okay I will talk to you look into it and that was the end of the suspension so we as immigrants we have to be present when things are going wrong if our children are be, I know one of my kids when coming back from school, there are some gang boys waiting on the way. I had to intervene. I told the security guard, and I will be there to make sure my, my kids were safe, going to school and coming back. We have to be involved. We have to go to parent-teacher associations. Don't think that some teachers don't have any whim of discrimination against African children. They do. Mm -hmm. I, I've had that experience and I met it head on. So that is something we have to do, something we have to navigate and know that that threat is real. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying that they're all teachers, but they are very, very good teachers, very, very good headmasters and headmistresses. But the fact is, we have to make our presence felt in the community and in the schools or churches where our families go to. And so that's why we should have an uh, obligation to our family at all times. Yes, thank you so much, Dr. Suji, for that. Because I have, you know, I, I have uh, one experience too with my son. Uh, when my son joined us, 
1994, August of 94. We live on College Avenue between 169 and 170, and he was going to school on 167 on College Avenue, just two blocks away. It was only, we brought him from, it was the only one we had in Nigeria. The other two were uh, born here. My wife, pregnant uh, then, my daughter, and uh, she, she was trying to dress his only son up to go to school. So in one of those days, there's a library on Morris Avenue, like two, three blocks away, and they jumped my son. They beat him up. I just, just came from Nigeria, so he was mm -hmm. beaten up. They <laughs> took his sneakers and they took his uh, jacket, and he had to come home <laughs> with no jacket on, crying, of course. So my wife was trying to, I said, no, you are not going to react the way you feel. We were taught back in Lagos that uh, when you have such experience outside, as a young boy, you must be able to have a means of fighting it yourself. Yes. I mean, there's a saying, Tobak Bonile, if we want no day, if you hear that you were beaten outside, uh, you parents, you should be rest assured we're going to fight for ourselves. Yeah. So I told my son that uh, that is what you have to cultivate. Know how to fight for yourself. Of course, I went to the school, talked to the principal the second day, and at the end of the day, he, began, he started fighting for himself. And that is how I, I personally decided to train my children. You should be able to fight for yourself when you get out there. Thank you so much. One, one, one more thing I want to add. Yes. Femi, one more thing I want to add there. You see, we live in a society that lives by law, existing laws, ordinances, and, and things like that. And we don't want our children to be uh, victims of violence. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we don't want them to, we should always follow due, due process. At one time, I had uh, some kids, but my kids, I took the, the parents of those kids to, to the police station. Call the police, look at their brother, my kids. I didn't, want my, I didn't want to take the law into my own hands or ask my kids to fight back. And the police intervened and called those parents. Right from that day, they never bothered my kids anymore. So that's why we say, don't let your kids take the, hand, uh, the, the, the law into their own hands. Parents, don't take the law into your own hands. Follow the, follow the process, the existing process. Because each community is different. Each, each environment is different. Yes. You gotta follow the laws of the land. Yes, thank you so much. Doctor. Thank you, Dr. Usuji, for that. Because you know, one thing we have to understand is that uh, sometimes um, we could advise parents do A, B, C, and D, make sure you go to school, make sure you do this and that and everything. We also have to understand that there's some parents that they work two, three jobs to be able to make ends meet, to even pay the bills. And the lack of the time or that they, they, they need to focus on so many other things is not actually feasible because we're in an environment whereby you're only parents within your own household. 
you know, the neighbor, they're not there to watch after your kids or to help you with anything compared to where, where we are, when we were at home. So also a lot of emotional distress that we as a parents go through in this country, whether from discrimination as an immigrant or person of color or trying to uh, uh, put ourselves in a, in a society whereby, <laughs> you know, we don't feel welcome in. Also shed over to the emotional trauma that many of our children go through. Because if as a parent, sometimes, you know, our own experience affects our health, our own emotional experience. Even some of us who went through emotional trauma back home also bring it here. And it affects our children, it affects our health, it affects us mentally, it affects our parental style as well. Because if I am so stressed and I come home and the child wants to talk to me, I might say, you know what, just ignore them. I don't want to be bothered. At least, you know, back home, if I'm providing you with food, there's shelter over you, that should be enough. Okay? I could call the teacher and tell them what to do. But don't bother me. You two don't get into trouble. Because there was a, the first event that I had, and I asked this question, there was a young man that said during that event, and he said his parents told him, listen, I don't want to hear all your complaint and your problem, okay? If you act up or you do anything wrong, I'm sending you back to Africa. So this young man think Africa is the place of punishment. So he has to swallow so many things in. And he talked about how this emotion affects him both emotionally and mentally that he was contemplating on committing suicide. So we have to really see on those other end, because you know, as our social economic status changes, maybe some of us who have been here for three, 30 years, 40 years, okay, we've reached certain level of status. We have a, a document already, but there's some of our people who are here that they don't have any papers, that they've been stressed out at work. They've been, you know, they're working in an environment that is not even humanly conducive. They've been short pay of their wages and they have to make ends meet, also provide for their children. So I'm focusing, I'm actually, you know, speaking for them. They might not be part of this audience, but I'm also speaking for those group of people as well, because it's important for us to acknowledge those among us who don't have those kind of opportunity. And like I said, you know, I was telling someone, I said, Reagan was the one who actually gave all of us amnesty, many of us in the 80s who were here at that time, were able to get amnesty and get our paper because before them, many of us didn't have any papers. Be, uh, you know, parents who are afraid of immigration, they are afraid of the police because anything that a child do outside could jeopardize the status of a, a, of a parent. Even some of the children, uh, a, a parents could actually have a green card. And if they do anything wrong, the green card could be taken away from their hand. Anytime, especially now, they call President Obama deporter-in-chief because he was the one who deported many immigrants. Even those who already committed crime and they served their time were also deported back to their individual countries. So many parents, so these are the, some of the issues that we are not actually discussing with our children. And it could be part of the barrier to actually fight for our children, to actually let, you know, uh, 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 challenge the school authority when they come. Because many parents may be so afraid and say, you know what, I don't want to say too much. 
at least they're going to school. You two behave yourself. If they, uh, they want to jump in school or gang is following, just, you know, manage your way, don't say anything. Though. And then we are not thinking about the emotional issue that that child may be going through. That child may be loyal to another gang because he knows he has to protect himself. And he's talking, he knows he's talking to a parents who have no clue or idea of how to help navigate through these kind of challenges because they didn't come from that environment. Yeah, can I come in, um, Sister yeah. um, Kemi? Um, I'm glad that you, you talked about this because there's so many hidden things we as immigrants, we don't talk about. It's exactly. secret and that we're going through. A, a lot of people, you know, regarding immigration and all of that. Even some children don't even know their parents' status. Um, you know, status, status, and they just, you know, they just become in growing up in that space. One thing I've observed is that as another topic to talk about is the mental state, mental health of our children, because these are children that are in between. They, you know, they're in between the American lifestyle and the African lifestyle, and they're pulled in both ends. We want them to, you know, think African. We don't want them to behave African, and the and the societies want them to be Americans. And a lot of children, a lot of our children go through emotional issues that they can't even express. And we come from a society, we don't talk about emotional stuff. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about mental health issues. So we find a, a many, many children growing up as a, adults having mental health issues. And the issue is when this is not addressed when they're in the teenage, um, teenage growing up, when they become adults and become fathers and become mothers as well, it's, it, it compounds because it hasn't been addressed when they were young. It affects marriages, it affects relationships, on and on. So that's an issue to talk about, yes. to really, to really um, address. And another thing is, as immigrants, when we come to it, we, we're here in a different space. We need to know the law of the land. We, don't, we, do, we can't do things the way we did it back home. We need to know the law of the land. We need to deliberately know what's, you know what's policing in this country, what's social service. We need to learn that. So when we're dealing with things, we don't deal with it as if we were in Nigeria we or in Ghana or in Guinea. We deal with it as an, an American. And that's where a lot of our children have gotten into trouble yeah. because the way we say, oh, you know, do it this way and they, they end up in a bad space. Yes. We need to know certain basic things about this country to be able yes. to help our children. Yes, thank you so much. So what would you say is your biggest fear raising our children in this country? What are your biggest fears for our children, for their future? My biggest fear is what's happening now because we came to this country decades ago hoping that, um, thinking America is a, you know, it's a heaven for the best thing in life. And, and that this is a good place, you know, for a better opportunity. But in the last few years now, um, it's, it's becoming a very uncomfortable space regarding, um, you know, the racism, the, 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 the anger, and, and, you know, it's becoming very uncomfortable. So, and to the point that even I have a grandson now, I'm thinking in my mind, is this safe when he goes to school? Is this safe when it goes out? This boy will one day become a 10 year old. You know, what will this country be? Those are the kinds of, I'm, I'm, I'm scared for myself. I'm scared for my children and I'm scared for my grand, grandchild as well. The way I felt 10 years ago is quite different from the way I feel now. Um, I feel a bit um, uncomfortable with the state of the country now regarding the future of, yes. of my whole family. 
Yes, thank you so much. May I chime in? Yes, no. Dr. Osuji. Yes, um, I agree with, with uh, what the last speaker has stated. But we have to know, mo most parents who have come to this country as immigrants, whether they came as students or came by choice or whatever way they came, they're probably more conservative than their children. And the time is changing. The value system seems to be changing. You all know what is going on now. The things we thought were an anathema, we wouldn't do in the past. They're being taken for granted now. So we see our children, if, if their parents don't, are not very careful, the, their value system begins to change with the times. And then they may be in a collision course with what we think is good morality and good values. As, of course, you know, a lot of times the children don't want to, they're more progressive than us mm -hmm. in most cases. So we have to be aware. Sometimes the belief of what is right or wrong is beginning to get warped in a way that we did not expect. We have to watch out. Moreover, another thing I want to add here is we as Africans must not be um, recluses. Stay in our homes and don't, call, don't mingle with other Africans. A tree cannot make a forest. We have to belong to community organizations wherever we live. It's very, very important that we, um, you may, some of your friends you may make there who know you may be of help to you when you need, you need them most. A Thank tree you. cannot make a forest. Thank you, Dr. Osuji. So that brings me to the last question. I wish you could, we could stay here for five hours talking, you know, because there's so much that is being brought from this conversation that I think, you know, it is so worth it, you know. So my last question is that um, now that, you know, our immigrant experience, now that we are getting older and reaching, many of us already reached retirement age, Many of us are still reaching retirement age. We are grandparents, you know, already. What type of relationship do we hope to maintain with our children? Because I've heard many of our people saying, listen, uh, I don't want these American children, they will just put you in a nursing home, okay? <laughs> yeah, we need to go back home. But going back home may not be feasible for many of us, as uh, Miss Abby said, because, you know, whether you even go back home, you build a house back home, you still have the connection here. You still get your retirement money here. You still, you know, uh, you know, have your health insurance here that you come to every year. So what kind of relationship do we want to maintain with our children as we're getting older? Because okay. for me, I want to be able to have that close relationship with my children, have an impact that they will never forget from their upbringing and also be wow. able to have that impact on my own grandchildren when my children start having their own offspring as well. I, I think whatever relationship you plan to have with your children will be an offshoot of the relationship you had with them when they were young. Uh, just like uh, my parents take care of, took care of me when I was young, I make sure I did my best for them when they were old. So it is what my children saw me doing for my parents when they were getting older 
till they die will just automatically come to them as this is what I need to do for this man. Regardless of the environment you find yourself, America, Nigeria, Zambia, Ouagadougou, anywhere you find yourself, it is what they see that they are going to show. Um, I'm retired now. Uh, this time next week, I will be in Lagos, Nigeria. I find it very difficult to say that uh, I want to stay in Nigeria. I mean, it's like I built the house for bird and uh, cockroaches to be running in there because I've not been there for, <laughs> I mean, I, I was there in July. I slept in my house for about four days. It's here that's, so everywhere is home. Wherever you find yourself is home. And actually, nobody knows where we're going to end our time. I'm in the bronze now. I don't know if I will die in the bronze. I may die somewhere else. Nobody knows that. The time, the day, where, nobody knows that. So we have to continue to prepare our children to be God-fearing and to know what to do to fellow human beings, including we as their parents. Thank you so much for that. Anybody else have any? Dr. Yeah, I will. I would like to say this. I think all of us, each one, must lay good foundation in the family. Earlier on, I did talk about uh, laying a good foundation in the family. Uh, it uh, bothered me sometimes when I see some men run away from their children because they're not getting along with their wife. Or oh, a wife run away from the, uh, the family because, you know, uh, not that their situations are always perfect, but we must try to empathize with our children. Not question of just being, thinking of our individuality alone, our pleasure, you know, our situation, making it better for ourselves and not looking. So when you don't build a good foundation, family foundation is big, it's difficult. When you're young or younger, it's difficult for, for you to, all of a sudden, change it in your 60s and 70s. Mm. We must understand that. When you run away from your kids when they are young, you mm. think that they'll come back to you when you're old? Difficult. So what we have to understand as Nigerians, as Africans, we must build a good foundation. We must not abandon our families. We may, you may disagree with your spouse, your kid may be acting badly in a way, empathize with them, feel for them, and live and let live is the best way to do it. So don't abandon your family and think that in your old age, they're gonna come around and accept you and do everything for you. Hmm. That's what I wanna say. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Suji. That's so powerful. And, that is, and that's so true, not only here, even back in Nigeria. Because if you are not there and take care of your children, you feel like, you know, when you get older, they, they will take care of you is immoral as well, you know, because they are not asked to be born yeah. in the first place. So who else have anything else to say about that? Um, I, I just have a short thing. Um, I would like to go back again as to what I had said before, um, that it takes a village to raise a child. Mm -hmm. 
um, I always let my children know, I am your mother. I gave birth to you. Your father gave birth to you. But you also have to be open to the other family members out there. My children, every time I introduce a cousin or an uncle, I never use the word cousin to them. This is my cousin. No, it's always, this is my brother. This is my sister. And there's a time my um, seven-year-old son came up to me and he said, mommy, why do you have so many sisters and so many brothers? <laughs> I said, yes, because they are my sisters and they are my brothers. And he said, but wait, you don't have the same last name. I'm like, well, I'll tell you something. My daddy had so many wives. That's why we are so many like that. And it always sticks with them. So as in terms of also, um, like doctor said and um, sister Abby said, we, 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 we really have to put our families first before anything. Families always have to come first. And that also brings us into communities. Like now with my daughter, everywhere I go, I make sure that she goes with me. Anything that has to do with the family, that has to do with the community. So like people say, oh, when you grow older, your children are going to abandon you because that is how it works here. But us as Africans, if, if we already instill the, 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 the elements of family and, and love and empathy in our children, and they see that, okay, my dad is here, my dad is aged, and I'm still taking care of my father. So I'm pretty sure that, as Brother Asa said, that once I get old, immediately, automatically, it's going to kick into my daughter that, oh, this is what mommy did for her dad. So I think that this is also what I should definitely do for my own parents. So um, I know we're not finished yet, but I'm just so glad that I did not miss this today. I, Thank I'm you really so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for contributing. And, you know, American citizen too, they don't put their parents in a nursing home for no reason. Sometimes right. because of the health situation that warrants that, that it has to take place like that. So is, I've seen many of them even take off from work or take yeah. leave of absence from work and they take care of their parents. Yeah. You know, so it's an individual uh, thing anyway. So we're going to open it up for you know, the audience now who may have questions to ask about um, some of uh, the subject that is being discussed today. So anybody from the audience? Yes, really quickly, I, I didn't get a chance to introduce myself in the beginning, but um, I, I am one of the organizers of this program uh, by way of Sister Kemi and Brother Kalechi. And, um, you know, the idea of this is for all of us to learn, uh, learn all of our own experiences and then to use that to uh, better, uh, to, to, to use that to uh, better the relationships between the youth and the African, so and, and the African parents. I learned a lot. Thank you all so much. And we're going to go ahead now and open up the floor. Um, you can tell us your thoughts on the overall uh, program or just certain questions, or if you just want to introduce yourself and, you know, what you do in the community, that, that can work also. The floor is open now. So, um, Baba Baka. So, yeah, yes. um, use the raise in your feature. Hi, hi everyone. I'm very glad to be here. Hi, Auntie Kemi. Um, hi, Baba. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Baba I, was my podcast co-host. Yes, <laughs> I'm, I still am. You know, I took a little bit of time off. We have a lot to talk about, Auntie Kemi. Okay, okay. <laughs> but I'll call you right after this, actually. But hello, everyone. I'm so, so happy to be here. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation um, and I have a question regarding sort of like the pressures on on African 
you know, the African children, right? And I've loved everything that the adults, my aunties and uncles have said so far. Um, but I, I heard an auntie mention um, about how, you know, here in America as an African immigrant, as, you know, the child of an of an immigrant, you need to work twice as hard, three times as hard, four times as hard, right? And that's absolutely true. But personally, and I know, you know, with my friends who who are from that same background, it becomes a little difficult, right? Because you're caught in a space where you're having to live up to these really grand expectations, which is good, but it also comes with a lot of pressure, right? So, so my question to uh, my wonderful aunties and uncles is that how do you help your 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 children, right? Navigate these pressures, right? So these are standards that you've set for them and they're absolutely wonderful again, but it's a lot, right? And it takes it takes a lot of um, tender love and care to to help you know a child navigate through through those pressures, right? Because it is quite tough out there, but there are also these pressures that are coming from the family. So how do you help your children through that? Thank you. Thank you. Who wants to take the question? Anybody I'll, else? Wants to? Yes, I'll go first. Um, thank you so much for that question. Um, and um, I and I understand that it it is quite um it's it's full on pressure that is very true it is full on pressure because um I have a 15 year old and um I didn't mention this before but um Abdullah Sisi over there that's my little brother that's my baby brother so mm. um uh, this this is pertaining to his niece um she's 15 and she is in high school she's in 10th grade. So one of the things that I think works for me, for me and her, um, is communication. We communicate a lot. Communication is key. And I know that I push her, I push her so hard, which is so true that we African parents do that a lot. But also at the end of the day, I always like to get her insight into whatever it is that I am pushing her into. Is she really enjoying it? Or, you know, you have to listen to them also. If it's something that she feels like she only took it up because I insisted on her taking it. So, um, you know, we, we have to come back to it and, and, and sit down and discuss. Do you still want to do it? Do you want to give it a try? If she says, I don't want to do it, you know, you have to be and you have to become about it. Why don't you want to do it? Like, what is the main reasons why you don't want to do it? And I know there's a time, I think she was like maybe eight or nine, nine years old, I think, or 10. Uh, I, 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 there was some AP classes at 10 years old. I was already pushing her, like, we have to go, we have to go. So she said, mommy, um, I, I, I think it's too much for me right now. Mm. She said, mommy, I think it's too much. On top of everything else that I have her doing, she's like, mommy, I think it's too much. So for that, I had to take a step back. And I realized that, yes, we want our children to always be the best that they want to be We're pushing them in. But at the same time, sometimes I feel like parents only do that because we didn't get to do that for ourselves. So we want to we wanna project that onto our children. Mm. So that is what even makes it tougher for them. But so parents, we have to take a step back, you know, pushing them. We know that, yes, they have to work harder than their counterparts in this country, whether we like it or not, that has to be done. But I think we should do it in a more sensible manner. So as to not push them overboard or, or, or not have them give up totally on, on, on what it is that they could have enjoyed doing. Yes. Thank you so much, Sister Aisha, for that. And uh, I will also, you know, chime in on that. 
because there's some uh, uh, difficulties that children may be going through. Yes. And sometimes they might talk to us about it. Sometimes they might not. I, mm -hmm. I'm proposing for us as African immigrants that we need to start thinking about therapy. Yes. Okay. The professional help in this country that could actually listen to them and help them navigate through their difficulties. Because many of us are not expecting these emotional challenges that our children may be going through. So for some who are listening to this, if you know that your child is going through some other emotional issue and it's not something that you're able to handle, it's good to you know, get them the help that is needed. You could contact their school guardian counselor if they are in high school, when they are older, you call your health insurance and say, listen, okay, you know, can you give me a list of therapies that my child could be able to explore to help them deal with their, a lot of their emotion issues that they might be going? Because like somebody said here, sometimes children don't tell us anything, so, so many things. Dr. Abby said that so many of our children may not tell us many things that they are going through, but through therapy and outside intervention, sometimes it does work very well. So if we can have a, a, another question. Thank, thank you so much, everyone. This is very exciting and to be part of it. So for the sake of full disclosure, I don't have kids, but I've been best blessed to raise, to raise quite a bit of them. Uh, I raised all my nieces and nephew. Uh, they are the ones I have here in the US that are living with me. There are a lot of points that I appreciate had been mentioned. And I think we tend to assume that this is peculiar to African immigrants. That's not true. Every immigrant community in America went through this phase of their children. How do I help my children make the best of their life in America? They all do it. So it's not peculiar to us. Having this conversation is also not peculiar. How do we help our children? I appreciate the fact that it's brought out that you can seek outside help. I think one of the things we, we may not tap into is the resource we have in our own community. So for example, my sister has been here before I came to the US. And once I came, her children became my children. I wasn't planning on having kids. So her children became my children. And I became the one they can say everything to. There are things you cannot say to mommy and daddy, but there are things you can say to auntie. And that's the function. So how do we tap into those mechanisms we use back at home? Because I want to ask how many of you, how many of you when you were growing up in Nigeria or in Ghana or Kenya or anywhere that your parents sat you down and said, so by the way, and Kelechi, so when you start growing and you have that wet dream, this is what it means. They don't talk to us about that, but that does not mean you don't have an uncle and aunt that you can feel comfortable to say that to. So for me, my nieces and nephew, by the age of three, I was telling them which body parts people can't touch because I have to prepare them for potential sexual assault as young kids, sexual molestation. By the age of seven, we we're talking about crushes. My sister, the day she found out that the daughter, 80-year-old, had a crush, my sister almost died. And I'm like, what the heck is your problem? You had a crush when you were going in Nigeria. We just didn't call it crushes. <laughs> I mean, what's your problem? And my sister was like, oh, that's true. I say, yeah, you remember the teacher that wears tight pants that you really like? That's what is called a crush. And, and that was it. And so I had this conversation with my, with my, with my sister's kids. But you're right, having an open conversation. So the key is this. How comfortable do you feel talking about this issue about yourself to expect the children to talk to you about it? My sister's kids heard about the fact that I had a crush when I was 10 years old. And I was like, oh my God, did you see that guy? It was like this, it was like that. So they could tell me, so they know it was not weird that they were having crushes. When it came to bullying, 
I prepared them. I said, what if? And I remember the phone call from the school. My niece, she's now finishing the university. My niece, the principal called me to say, well, we have a situation, your niece called 911. And I said, why? And the principal said, well, she said some kids were harassing her and she's been telling them to leave her alone. And that she said that Angie told her that if they ask you again, just call 911. And that's what I did. And that's what she did. I said, call 911. And once she called 911, they ran away. They left her alone. And so the principal called me and said, well, next time we have a process in place. And I calmly told the principal, I said, yes, I respect your process in place. But if I remember correctly, she's been through your process twice to report these girls. Since you're not doing anything about it, 911 takes care of it. Now they won't disturb my niece again. The principal was shocked. So I'm saying all this because there are things that when it comes to academic pressure, we as parents don't help our children to understand principal thing about academic pressure. I want you to succeed, not for me, but for you. We forget that part. How do I help my child understand that the success of my child is for my child? My nieces and nephews, I'm so proud of them. One is a doctor trying now to, I mean, one is a nurse. She's now going to med, going back to medical school. The other one is finishing. She wants to be a PA. One is trying to be a computer scientist. And if you ask them, they'll say, well, there's nothing NCTT doesn't discuss with us. But when it comes to this, it's always a question of, in fact, I'm calling one today, the last one today to say, what do you love to do? The conversation needs to start from what do you love to do? I know we are all pressured and we have to work hard to provide for our family. But I agree, how do we talk to our children? If we cannot talk to our children, are there people in our circle that we can use? Do we feel if our child go and talk to Mrs. BB down the road, that means our child is taking our family problem to Mrs. BB. Is that the way we perceive it? Because if our child feel that they are betraying the family's confidence, they won't want to talk. So I, I think it's imperative that parents, I, I mean, I, and I say this because, like I said, full disclosure, I, don't, I didn't give birth to any children, but I've raised enough of them to put myself in their situation and ask those questions uh, from even my own sister to say, listen, I know you're very busy. I can help with this. I know you're very busy, but your child needs you for this. I cannot do that for your child because I'm still not the parent. But it must be us being willing to understand one simple fact. We are not in Africa. Mm -hmm. So those rules of engagement are different. If we think it's an insult that our daddy, our child comes home and say, hey, daddy, don't be silly. And we get up in hand that the child is being rude. Then we're missing the point. <laughs> we are not in Africa. Our kids are living three, four consciousness. They are dealing with being our children. They are dealing with triple cultures of being African, not African, of being American, not American, of not being African-American and yet be African. These are the challenges our children are dealing with. So what do we as parents do differently? If our kids make a success of their life in America, we are proud of it. But do we help them to understand that that success is their success also? Mm -hmm. Are we willing to have the tough conversation of what it means to be black in America? Are we, I, I remember when I had that conversation with my nieces, they came home and they said, and see, the teacher is saying that we're African-Americans. And so I had to put out and said, no, you are African immigrant children. So you are Nigerian Americans. And they said, why not American Nigeria? I said, it's easy. So when you leave school and you come here, you are in Nigeria land, even though you're <laughs> So 
tell you, I'm Nigerian-American. We made fun, but, but it was a conversation we had to have. It was a conversation that our parents must be willing to have with their children. I've served as a mediator in a number of African immigrant family you know, situation with their children. And they'll call me to say, I don't know what is wrong with this child. I'm doing everything for this child. My, my, my nephew was four years old, came back home and said, mommy doesn't love me. Why doesn't mommy love you? Well, because my teacher says that if your parents love you, they should hug you. My sister went off like a typical African parent. What do you mean I don't love you? I go to work. I provide for you. Did it? And she was screaming. And so my four-year-old niece is crying. He's now going to university. He's now 20. He's <laughs> crying. And, and I had to hug this boy and I said, let me explain to you what is going on. And I did. And my sister is like, Titi, this is unacceptable. I said, no, your behavior is unacceptable. <laughs> Thank you. We understand where we're coming from, but they don't. We need to help our children understand that. Thank thank you so much for that. It's such a wealth of uh, information that you just brought in. And I know many people who will gain so much from that because a lot of people, like you said, yes. Sister Kenny, how are you? So um, the sister from African Immigrants Credit Project, she said a lot of great points. Um, One great point that I want to highlight is something in what she said where she held the principal at her school accountable. And I wanted to just use that to use this opportunity to share my same message in amplifying and holding uh, schools, admins, and teachers also accountable. Um, Because sometimes what I'm hearing, and again, I'm sharing, I'm using this opportunity uh, to share this with this community is that um, our our youth, they feel that once uh, the school calls their parents and tells them, you know, that there's something um, happening with them, uh, some parents don't go into investigating and they should, they should um, take the opportunity to see what the issue is and to, you know, uh, I guess if you're going to bring down discipline, find out first what happens before, um, you know, disciplining the child. So uh, if that's something that everyone in this room is already doing, which I'm sure I, I feel like this, this group of people, um, you guys are investigators, um, continue to do that. And, and if you can just uh, help us spread that message out to the community. I, I think um, that could bring a lot of different impact. And uh, real quick, I do want to just give Mr. Makaba an opportunity to just quickly chime in on this important topic. He was one of the invited guests. Um, you know, he wasn't able to, to come on earlier, but but he's here now. Mr. Maka, could you quickly just um, throw in uh, just a comment or two on, on, on the relationship between African immigrant parents and the youth, please. And then um, we can start uh, closing the program. Assalamu alaikum, Mr. Ablai. How are you, Mr. Marco? Alhamdulillah. How's everything? Alhamdulillah. Mm. All right. Uh, just quickly introduce yourself and tell us about your uh, maybe like one challenge that you had as a parent. Um, raising an African youth here in the Bronx. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Miss Ablai, for having me here. And uh, thank all your team and all the, the guests uh, who are here. I'm, unfortunately, I couldn't make it by 12 o'clock. Uh, sorry, but uh, I'm here. Uh, thank you so much. Coming back to, to the question regarding uh, the challenges for raise a family in the United States. Uh, I believe uh, number one thing, we need to keep our culture uh, like the way we are raised back home in our country. Uh, by raising our culture, 
will help uh, not only the child but the parent also to continue to remind us no matter uh, uh, how we live in United States richly compared to someone who lives back home in Africa, we will continue also to remind ourselves of our, our culture, how we used to live uh, back home, uh, connecting the family together, uncle, father, uh, aunt, and nephew, cousin. It will help us a lot, and it will help our kid to 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 know that or our culture. If you continue to keep it, it will help us to keep, give a good shape for the family and for the kid to to remind them to to tell them also America where they are where they live here is a place we have a good opportunity compared to where we come from back home. It's time to also to talk to the kid, uh, raise, uh, uh, do a communication, communication between your kid. Uh, I, I had a lot, one time I had a, a, a discuss with uh, a parent, a white uh, parent who was saying that they have a Wednesday, every Wednesday is a family talk. Uh, he said that family talk on Wednesday, family get together in the table, talk about life how to succeed, how to avoid problems, uh, how to, to, to be more kind, uh, but I right. with other families. And uh, this is a, a Wednesday, every week, they have this talk in the family. Uh, if, if African also continue to find uh, this uh, program and uh, put the program in their family, every Wednesday, every other day, Get together. Maybe you apply. You can say Friday. Maybe I will say, or for me Monday, or another one will say Tuesday. Any day, but getting together in a in family, like when you guys are eating, uh, talking about, telling them where you come from. Like uh, you take in education level, you tell them your kid back home. Like a parent say, listen, I used to go to school. I never have a, a, any book in my life. Only I was relating for whatever my teacher gave me at school. No any other book. Uh, but in here, in your room, you have a thousand books. You can go everywhere, uh, get a book. Your teacher will give you a book. Your school will give you a book. They, you, they will assist you for your education back home. We don't have that. Then, then try to take this opportunity. You tell them about uh, someone who lives in back home school, going to school. Sometimes he doesn't even have a breakfast. He doesn't even have a two purchase or three, three purchase for you in your closet. Mr. 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 Maka. Um, because the program is like ending, uh, we just wanted that quick intro and I'll follow up with you uh, afterwards. Um, so we're, I'm going to give the floor to uh, Brother Kalechi and Sister Kemi um, for, for just convening the program and close the program out. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. So what I would um, like really, again, before we close is just if we have, if we want to have any parting words from our panelists, uh, they want to just say any closing words. Before we wrap up, uh, that'd be greatly appreciated. Again, just want to thank you all for taking the time for such a lovely, rich, insightful conversation. Um, it was phenomenal. And thanks to the audience for being very engaging, very interactive, and asking some great questions. And our moderator for being phenomenal as well and facilitating such a lovely discussion. But before we go our separate ways, until the next time, I want to remind everyone that this is the first part of a three-part series and it will go as the parents will talk. The next conversation we will have the children um, that will be talking 
And then we're hoping by the third and final conversation, we'll have a mix of both to have a very robust conversation. So um, with that being said, I wanna just open it up for our panelists to have some parting words. Again, um, anything else that you wanna share before we wrap up? I just want to say thank you to everyone for finding, you know, um, finding the time to join us. I think this is a good start, a good conversation. We need to continue to do this. Um, we're going to be able to learn a lot from each other and to give um, every, you know, everyone the opportunity to express themselves. And um, thank you so much for, for being here and your patience as well. Have a blessed day. Uh, I want to thank the producer and the, the people in the background, uh, Keleshi and Abdullah. Uh, my passing word here will be, I am looking for an, a situation whereby our children will be our main tool to fight to move against second slavery. Like MASS, we will use our children, get them on the right path to now go and build back Africa and bring back that African pride. That is my parting word. And I hope we will do that someday. Anybody else? Anybody else? Sister Jacqueline, uh, Sister Cisse. Um, this is Aisha, Ms. Sisa here. Uh, my parting words to everybody is um, please be involved in your children's lives and not only the children, look out for your family members. Um, I know a lot of people call me nosy. Uh, <laughs> I'm very nosy when it comes to my family. Um, I'm nosy in a good way. I always like um, to keep in touch especially um, with the nieces and our nephews, because like you said, they cannot always talk to their mothers about stuff, but aunties and, and, and you know, aunties are the children's best friend. So please just love your family and please stay safe out there. And I'm looking forward to the second edition of this. Thank you so much for everybody um, who organized this. Have a blessed day. Thank you. Anybody else? Uh, Sister Jacqueline, um, and also our, uh, our additional panelist, Sister Latifa, do you want to have any, any, <laughs> I didn't want to wish any, any parting words too? Your contributions are so, so rich. If you have any parting words you want to add, please share them. Hello, everyone. By the way, uh, my aunt is one of the moderator. Uh, yes, that's Sarita, my name. She's my aunt. <laughs> so this uh, uh, auntie, I really want to thank you. And it's not just you, it's everybody. I'm telling you, I, you've talked about this a lot. And then I never appreciate what you're doing in the community. And I, I just want to say thank you to everybody that really brought this up. And I gained a lot of information from this. And I think we all just need to understand that this is a very difficult times. And this is, the environment itself is very challenging and we just need to continue to learn the good ways to live and impacting our children and continue to learn and grow. And another thing I learned from Auntie Titi, oh my goodness, thank you for sharing that. The way we perceive love as an African 
parent is so different from the way love is perceived by this young generation now look at what the four-year-old said my mom doesn't love me because he doesn't give me a hug but then we look at love like okay if i make the food ready for you if i prepare everything for you you have a shelter over your head you have a roof over your head you have water to drink you have food so that's the way we perceive love but it's beyond that so i think we should just what we should take out of here is learn the little things listen to the children let them communicate with us or we should listen to them vice versa and and just learn in both ways thank you so much dearness <laughs> <laughs> so thank you everyone for coming and for participating in this important event you know and uh, i really appreciate everybody's contribution nobody's an expert everybody learn from one another whether we're learning from our children or from our peers we all learning from one another is building the community which is very important and i just want to thank everybody the participant the audience who took part in this conversation as i always close in my own podcast as we publicly discuss difficult issues within our community we are shredding away stigma connected with uncomfortable dialogue we have to have uncomfortable dialogue and we open it to the public we we speak about it openly it's no more uncomfortable when we start talking about it you know so that's one thing i just want to share so thanks to everyone brother sise thank you so much dr kelechi ibe lambert i really appreciate you that is my nephew forever <laughs> thank you all so much thank you especially shout out to sister uh chinieri she dropped a lot of jewels in, in the comment section i hope y'all didn't miss that thank you everybody you have a good day